welcome to Becoming Whole podcast. I am your host, Claire Bradshaw, a life coach and a yoga and meditation teacher. Join me as I explore with my guests what it means to live a life of wholeness and connectedness, a life where all parts of ourselves, our body, mind and spirit come together into alignment, where we're truly living into our own personal values and the fullest expression of who we are. So if you're a seeker, a feeler and someone wanting more from your precious life, then tune in every fortnight and let's grow together. Hello and welcome to episode number 39 of Becoming Whole podcast with Claire. And today I have a really exciting guest. I got to sit down with Chris Wilson, who is the owner of um, Yoke Studios. They have two studios, one in um, Melbourne and also one in Torquay. And Chris has been teaching yoga and meditation since 2007. And he has this thriving community of soul seekers and heartfelt yoga in um, both of his studios. He creates a safe space in his classes for students to soften their thinking, forget striving, and let the experience of yoga and meditation unfold naturally through the practice of listening. He shares his vision with Yoke to bring yoga of the heart to the world. And for more than a decade, he's been sharing this through his yoga teacher trainings, retreats, and studio classes. Chris is really the real deal. Um, He is such an honest, humble person. And um, I've been attending his classes in Melbourne Melbourne for the last couple of years. And, um, you know, the practice that he he teaches through himself is truly amazing. And um, I've learned so much from him. And you'll notice in this podcast interview that we have some really great um, discussions. I learned so much from um, from the talk that we had. And it's quite a conversation, actually, this um, podcast interview, um, more so than, you know, a question and answers. So it's um, a pretty interesting one to um, take in and see how it unfolds. And um, Chris also talks about some of the key moments in his own life where he's had moments of reflection, where he's seen life in a different way. We also talk about some of Chris's teachers, the people that have really truly inspired him to continue on his journey and continually evolve. So I really hope that you enjoy this interview. Let me know any comments that you have any um, ahas, any revelations. I love to hear from the community and hear how um, the podcasts are resonating with you. So do do that. Um, You can find me on Instagram, underscore Claire Bradshaw, underscore. And if you didn't grab your Sacred Mornings pack that I created for you, then do so. I'll again put the link and the information in the show notes. Um, I know that within my life and also it's something I work with my clients, particularly um, at the beginning of coaching together, um, about creating a morning practice. And in yoga, this is called a sadhana. And this is a sacred time of connection to self, whether it be meditation, whether it be um, taking, you know, your body into some yoga poses and um, really feeling your body from the inside out. So do grab that if you are interested. All right, well, let's get stuck straight into the interview. Hey, Chris, great to have you on the show. All right. Thanks for inviting me, Claire. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Fantastic. So I want to find out, as we delve into talking more and more deeply about yoga, I want to find out when you first started practicing yoga and what initially brought you to the mat? 
Okay. Uh, well, I started when I was in my early 20s. And at the time I was at university, I just finished school and um, I got into yoga because mostly because I was, you know, I had a lot of anxiety uh, and I used to go out drinking a bit in my early 20s and, and I kind of used that as a, as a way to deal with the stresses of life. Um, and then I found yoga and I found it was an effective way to find a sense of calm amidst the turbulence of you know, anxieties and things like that. And it was also really helpful for my studies at the time I was studying marine biology at uni. And um, so I delved into it then in my early 20s and then uh, kind of fell in love with it. And, but it wasn't really until I did my teacher training um, in my sort of mid to late 20s that I, I really, the, the bug really took hold and I started really diving into it. Mm. yeah so initially it was more to kind of help to cope with the stresses of university and some of the anxiety of all of the things that you've got to deal with when you're studying um and was it was it a physical thing as well or was it more more to do with like how it made you feel more relaxed yeah i actually never really got into it Mm. for the physical side of things i mean i used to surf a lot and i still do but and so i was always sore and i never really used it as a as a fitness tool however it was helpful on that regard it was kind of like a little bonus you know you do your practice and you feel supple in the body and that was a nice bonus Mm. and i guess as you progress you you start to sense the fact that oh yeah the body and the mind aren't so different and and when my body feels clear my mind feels clear and when my mind feels clear my body feels clear so Yeah, it uh, helps to connect the dots, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. so good. So were your family practicing at the time? Like had you grown up in a family of people who were doing yoga all the time or, you know, or was it literally, yeah. you know, something that you did and you were kind of almost like different to the rest of the family? Talk, talk about that. Yeah. Mm. I, well, I don't know. I mean, I'd say my, my parents are thinkers. They're inquirers but my dad loves to have a glass of red and he's, he actually runs a vineyard and, you know, so he, he inquires in his own way. He certainly never got into the yoga thing. And my mum is also the same, although she was, you know, she loves art and um, she, you know, she loves indigenous culture. And so she has an interest in culture and art and I guess spirituality in that regard. But, Certainly, yeah, it was a different tangent. My mum, coming from a design background, she was an interior designer and my dad, more of a businessman and, you know, running wineries and things like that. So they, there wasn't that, that influence from the parents. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I think for all of us, I mean, when I was growing up, even with my friends and, you know, coming through our teens and whatnot, I was always interested in what is this all about, you know? What's life about? What are we doing? What are we doing here? What What is this thing called life consciousness? And I guess we inquired into it in our own way and talked about it amongst our friends. So to have yoga as a, as a, a place to deepen that inquiry was pretty nice. 
was, it was a nice surprise to think that well to have a a practice that enables you to delve into the nature of living nature of life you know yeah so beautiful and um you know how did you find um you know your family when you said that you wanted to become a yoga teacher and you were starting to go down that path, how did your family respond to that? Because, and the reason why I ask you that is because, you know, so many of us are, you know, being drawn to yoga, but we may not have either family around us who are supportive of it. They may have their own views or um, friends around who are supportive of it as well. And particularly when we want to make a career out of this and we want to really progress further down that path. And, you know, it can be quite confronting and quite challenging when we don't have anyone around us who is also um, understands what we're kind of like, you know, experiencing. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, well, I was lucky enough to have a family that was pretty supportive of, of, of whatever we were, whatever I was up to. So that was never really, I never really got the hard word from my parents, for example, to say, hey, you shouldn't be doing this path. But, um, but I know what you mean in terms of like social pressures. And I think that that definitely comes up amongst, well, it certainly came up with, with me um that am i is this a legitimate path you know i mean i think that's the whole identity thing am i doing the right thing and yeah that came up and but you know i i think well at least i think that whole stigma around yoga is softening a lot lately Mm. everyone's starting becoming more of a popular thing which is a good thing and perhaps people are starting to learn what it is more so beyond just a physical routine. And in that we can, I think all of us, even if we're not, have never touched the yoga mat, never got into yoga. I think all of us have this thirst for happiness or for an, an inquiry into the nature of reality. We all have that. I think, regardless of whether we call ourselves a yogi or not. So in that regard, we're all doing the same thing, Mm. (laughs) you know? So I was always, I kind of rested into that as a, um, as a, I guess something to be comforted by is that, okay, well, yeah, I'm inquiring into this path of yoga, but, it's not much different to what we've always done, what I did with my mates when I was young. Mm. And I still think my mates are doing the same thing and I'm just developing different ways to communicate that with them yeah. and my, friend, my family as well. I think that's what part of the, what, what I would say is helpful as teachers is learning to communicate the practice of yoga in a way that's a, applicable to everyone, you know. And so I, I, try, I try and talk about yoga to my family and to my friends without necessarily mentioning yoga, you know, just Mm. bringing in that conversation into the dinner table top combos and, you know, yeah. Yeah. And that's a skill in itself. Yeah. Um, but you know, 
you know, is that why we're all practicing yoga or at least, you know, if, if we're wanting to be yoga teachers, you know, is that behind it that we're wanting to take it, not just from, you know, within the um, yoga studio and teaching classes, but Mm -hmm. then how we can actually help to, you know, spread the word of yoga, not necessarily, as you said, calling it yoga, but the gift that is the learnings of it, you know, with the rest of the world or the people in, in which that we touch um you know creating that ripple effect mm. yeah. beautiful um so what is it about the practice that really first mesmerized you and continues to do so did you have a moment when or have you had many moments where you've been on the mat and you've just felt like wow this is me and i am this yep yep absolutely and um those moments I mean, I had, okay, so if you want, I had a, I mean, you probably had many as well. I think all of us as, as we get into the journey have definitely had a lot of, that. that's what builds trust in your practice, having those moments of clarity. And I think um, what I, well, first, the first sort of big breakthrough I had when I was early on in my yoga journey was when I was in Canada and I was doing a training there and, um, this is in 2006, late 2006. And I had, I was uh, riding home from the training and it was cold and it was raining and it was kind of sleeting, you know, in Vancouver, it's, it was like snowing slash raining. And I was, I was quite lonely because I didn't really have any mates in Vancouver. And um, so I was lonely, cold, riding home, it was dark and, but there was, a, there was, I was just, there was also accompanying that a feeling of bliss, like joy. And I was the first time I'd realized that actually I can have challenging feelings, things like loneliness and, and cold, you know, coldness and, and, um, and anxiety, but I can also have bliss or in other words, I can have those, those challenging feelings, but the feelings don't have to have me. They can arise and fall away and arise and fall away. So it's, I guess, the first time. That was a big breakthrough for me to realise that I, I wasn't necessarily those feelings. I could have them and just let them mm. move through me, so to speak. Wow, that's amazing yeah. to have that, yeah, that clarity when you're in a place of discomfort, but it's not overwhelming. Mm. And that, yeah, you can also have the the other feeling as well. Um, and it doesn't kind of yeah. take you down. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, I guess in later getting into the practice, we can also be attached to feelings of bliss as well. I know for me, that's been a search to try and find joy and happiness in the practice. And there, there's certainly moments of that. That was probably another turning point for me is recognizing that actually joy can be something we attach to as well and allowing all experiences to arise um as a i guess a reference point for the awareness within which they're arising as another sort of and i think that's still something i'm i'm grappling with and coming into and out of is recognizing the changing nature of reality and 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 feeling into this changelessness Mm. Nice yeah. that's so true because um yeah 
you know, we can all try and follow the light, <laughs> try and yeah. feel happy. And, you know, there's so much talk about, you know, follow, yeah, follow your bliss, follow your happiness and, you know, only do things yeah. that bring you joy and, you know, forget about the rest. But yeah, but life still happens. <laughs> Shit things yeah, still happen, the, you know. Yeah. So how the do we... The big problem is, is if you try and, if you tr search for the happiness, it, that you might we we tend to avoid the the uh challenging feelings and that in itself is what causes the suffering mm. so welcoming it all in is i guess the big insight i've had is that ah whatever is arising is there it's meant to be there and it's our practice to welcome it in and allow it to move through us and guide us and whatever you know yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, what you're talking about here, I experienced um, just recently in Vipassana. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, I did a 10-day Vipassana and, you know, they talk a lot about the nature of impermanence. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, because you're sitting down for 10 hours a day and yeah. so, you know, you, initially you deal with all of the physical discomfort of sitting, you know, the aches and the pains in the back and the hips and all of that. And the whole idea is that you just observe without reacting. Mm. And then, you know, as you progress in the practice, um, then it, they talk a lot about, you know, not attaching to the good feelings or sensations that you experience and then not pushing away and, you know, creating aversion to the things that don't feel good and having this, mm sense of contentment and calm no matter what is happening and not reacting and responding to it mm. um and i found that to be yeah really incredible to embody that teaching with the space because you're sitting in meditation for so long right yeah <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard that's I, i've heard i haven't done a vipassana by myself but i've heard uh, similar stories about people having those insights from vipassana it sounds like a powerful way to you know bring that inquiry in because you de deal i mean imagine you'd be sitting with a lot of pain a lot of discomfort you haven't really got a choice but to face up to it mm, for sure and what i found to be really interesting was at the start it was purely physical and but the more i didn't you know resist it the more i didn't react and respond and try and push it away the more my body just dropped into a place of actually not feeling anything you know, essentially came out the physical into the subtle mm. and dropped through. And then it was like all of that pain and that agony just dissipated. Mm. Yeah. Was Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. It's kind of weird. I remember I've had moments like that with meditation in that you go, you dive into the middle of discomfort. Let's say there's a physical sensation of pain in the body or maybe an anxiety or stress and you if you, if you merge into the middle of it, you feel into it and allow it to be as it is and let it, what I found is inevitably it dissolves the, the, what was discomfort is an idea that's arising in openness. And so the, the definition of discomfort is actually ease. It's a total, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like completely opposite to what we would think for, with our minds. Mm. Yeah, the thinking mind can't figure that one out. No. It, it, I remember, I've, I've, there's a, I mean, the, the idea around this, I think, comes from you go, 
the thing is, is that we are aware of the discomfort. And, but the awareness that we are is, it's welcoming. It is open to what is arising. And so awareness isn't making up its mind, whether it's good, bad, right, wrong. It's not uh, objectifying. It's not analyzing that's the mind that's doing that which is also arising in awareness awareness itself is just an openness a welcoming presence so as we learn to open and receive and you know quieten down that discriminative mind we fall back into this underlying awareness which is an open formless presence Mm. perhaps that's what what that is that feeling of not having a body anymore as we're feeling into that that nature of open welcoming presence Mm. yeah for sure for sure i love that that's yeah thank you for explaining that Mm. really really nice Mm. i've also i've also had a similar experience as well when i've been ill and sick and you know there's a pain or something like that whether it's a headache or stomach ache or something like that and, you know, you can go about your day-to-day and be sort of like, oh, I have this headache. Oh, it won't go away. Yeah. What are you doing? You're, you're resisting it and mm. creating conflict almost within. Um, and then when I've taken the time to sit down, close my eyes and bring my attention to just the awareness of it being there and just breathed, it's gone on its own. Mm. So it's kind of a similar thing, I think. Yeah. Create yeah, no, and, but the irony of it is is that we don't want to necess- we don't want to get rid of it if you do want to get rid of it then there's a resistance to what's arising where we're meeting it from the conditioned thinking mind yeah yeah welcoming is yeah that's the irony of it is that we're allowing it to be here wholeheartedly and that in itself is to rest back into that witnessing openness that we are mm. yeah versus kind of trying to i'm going to figure this one out i'm going to welcome it in it can hang out for a little bit and then it can go away oh yeah i'm going to get rid of it uh, that whole thinking mind yeah. comes in yeah. and then itself is more kind of contraction or the conditioning that we're sort of reinforcing mm. yeah for sure for sure it's so so magical <laughs> yeah um, so tell me about who your teachers are. So who are the people that have really like, influenced you in your life, but also in your practice and your teaching? Uh, I would say my, the two main teachers, uh, Eric Schiffman, although I've had many prior to that, but he was a big turning point for me. And then after that, my current teacher, Richard Miller, who I've been hanging out with for the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eric was a big, uh, I mean, I, when I came across Eric was um, probably only like probably maybe seven years ago or something. Um, and I was, I was at a point where I'd done a lot of trainings, you go and do a teacher training, you get inspired, you go and do a retreat, get inspired. And then off the back of each one, you sort of come back into this, ah, I'm confused again. And then you go off and do another study and you're like come back and I'm confused again. And you learn more technique and more technique. And I was at a point where I was like kind of sick of doing more trainings. And so I don't know, it just came to me, I should, I should check out this guy, Eric, because I, I had a book of his when I did my first teacher training and 
That's something I, I'd sort of been interested in him. But that was the first time that I got a sense of um, trusting my own experience as a teacher versus looking outside of me for answers. You know, it was um, the Eric's main teaching is to listen inwardly for guidance, to listen into the feeling tone of you, and then and then move or, or act as you're guided. Um, so in that way, it was a it was a big shift in that I'd learned a lot of technique in terms of the postures, the alignment, meditation techniques. And then here was a way of practicing where I was learning to use the techniques, but then lose the techniques and trust the feeling tone of what was arising. So mm. that was a big, big mm. moment. He, he stopped teaching now, although I still kind of email him every now and then. Um, yeah. Was that um, the book that you um, you said that you read of his, was that Moving Into Stillness? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That book is just – I remember when I'd just done my yoga teacher training and so right. many things had shifted within me, so many breakthroughs and breakdowns and all of the things. And, um, and yeah, and I started reading that book at the same time as committing for one year to practice an hour and a half on my mat every day. And I started reading that book at the same time and it was just blowing me away. Really? Yeah. Just um, it, the words resonated at the exact right time, you know, when it just right. literally the two come together and it was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, such a so good. beautiful book. Oh, so good. Yeah, I think he, he kind of talks from his own experience, Eric. He's like, mm. he's, he's all... I mean, I, I mean, I remember talking to him about, say, the Bhagavad Gita or the Yoga Sutra. He's like, I don't know. I've never, re never read any of those texts. You know, he doesn't. He's held. I mean, admittedly, he was his teacher was Krishnamurti, who is obviously a really world-renowned teacher. Um, but Eric was, and I think Krishnamurti is on the same tangent as that, like throw the books away and mm. let your own experience be your teacher. So Eric, I loved the way he taught in that it was always just coming out of his own, he would just say things from his own experience, you know, and he's, yeah. he was just kind of learning it in his own way. He just spent a lot of time sitting and listening and, and asking for mm -hmm. guidance and then and sort of the teachings come out of that yeah. versus learning technique, being guided by a teacher and then kind of regurgitating that as a mm. teacher. Yeah, no, I, I totally see what you mean now. I hadn't thought about it in that way, but yeah, now thinking back to reading the book, it was very much, yeah, coming from his personal experience and then a lot of inquiry through the book as well, which, um, yeah. which was great. And that's something I noticed in your classes as well, those moments of inquiry, um, which I think is so powerful when you're holding a pose and you're in the pose to have a little bit of inquiry sifted in there can really, you know, shift some things from within mm. yeah beautiful yeah. and so something i've noticed as well in coming to your class for the last couple of years and um, since coming back to melbourne um is that i've kind of noticed that your your classes have shifted a little bit in terms of the way that you teach Right. And I don't know if it's maybe that I came to a few classes and maybe they're a little bit different or whether you've actually have found that your your way of teaching has shifted and changing and whether that's a um, direct reflection of maybe your personal practice changing a little bit as well. Yep. Most certainly it's changed 
certainly in like in the last you know five or six years changed a lot when i started practicing with eric and doing my own thing a little more i used to teach a lot of uh a stronger sequence and i guess my my way of teaching was more around confrontation so bringing bringing us up against challenging experiences and then watching how the mind reacts and then looking at the mind so it's more focused on mind and how how the mind interacts with the postures which i still think is a really valid way to approach our experience uh, the practice um however i guess more recently I, i've softened a little more on the physical side of things in the way I'm teaching because I just love practicing a little more gently. And then, I don't know, I, I, yeah, from that physical side of things, I used to do a lot of strong asana and I just felt my body was kind of, just didn't feel great a lot of the time. Mm. Whereas when stepping it back a few gears and taking it more slowly, I just want to feel, I, I started feeling better in the body and that's kind of the intention I get what, what I see part of the intention of practicing asana is to feel good in the body. So yeah, that was part of the reason for toning it back physically. And then my main, uh, I guess what's pulling me to teach the inquiry at the moment is learning to listen more. So, so sharpening, listening, and in doing so, um, tuning into, the nature of reality, I guess you put it, and tuning into life as it's arising. Yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah, so that's been my, I guess that's my main message uh, mm. while it's coming out and teaching. Yeah. I'm loving your um, style of teaching, the, the slower paced. Um, whilst it's still, you know, you physically still feel it, you know, it's not like super gentle, you know, it's still strong, but you know, we're not moving around so much, you know, you actually get to really feel into the poses um, and there's a potency in that, I think. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> um, and, um, talk to me a little bit about, um, Richard Miller. So he's the Irest Nidra guy, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. He's the IRS guy. Yeah. I so, came across Richard. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah. Just tell me a little bit about him and, um, and you know, a little bit about Yoga Nidra and the kind of potency of that practice. Okay. So Richard is, I mean, he is the founder of IRS, which is a, 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 he came up with that term because he used to teach Yoga Nidra to the military and they didn't want to call it, yoga nidra so they asked him to change the name and he at the time i think it was when the iphone was coming out he came up with integrative <laughs> restoration so the i stands for integrative and r stands for restoration so he called it integrated restoration or i rest and then so he, but it's he calls it i rest integrative restoration or yoga nidra or meditation it's kind of all, all of those in one and yeah richard i think he's another one of those really uh well for me i've found he's very different to eric he talks a lot more from a foundation of uh he has a he has a very a very rich understanding of yogic philosophy um uh, he brings in 
a lot. He, he draws from a lot of different yoga philosophies into his into his teachings. So he has created a really uh, comprehensive map of consciousness using the the a lot of different traditions, and um, so that's helpful uh, in the the way that he teaches. He, he talks a lot to awareness and resting or abiding as our essential nature, and um, but. He, he uses what's called two paths. So one is the direct path, which is basically, okay, let's say the direct path is, let's, um, okay, so what we're, what are we aware of right now? Let's say I'm looking at the screen, I'm looking at you, you're looking perhaps at me or you're feeling that cup in your hand and you notice the sensation of the cup or you notice what you're looking at and then you turn attention back into that which is looking. Mm-hmm. the awareness within which the feelings are arising. Mm-hmm. So that's the direct path teaching is, okay, notice that you're aware. And then now notice what you're aware of. And now rest into that, which is aware. Yeah. And the mind can't do that because the mind's also resting. So that's one way that he teaches, but he also uses what he calls progressive path teachings. So there's the direct and the progressive Progressive path teaching is where he draws from all the yogic philosophy and uses things like pranayama techniques, uses the Samkhya philosophy, you know, drawing into, mm. you know, uh, breaking down reality into the different elements and uh, looking at how the mind works and those sorts of things. Um, and then, uh, you know, he looks at the koshas, uses, uses the kosha model, he uses the chakras and, so he uses different techniques drawing from those. So, but he thinks the way that the cool thing about is that the direct path is really kind of, I think a really simple, powerful path. But what he said is, that, okay, you'd use the direct path. You check into the Ulm hotel as he calls it. So you rest as awareness. It's like, well, okay. There's a sense of openness. Uh, but then, you're not necessarily able to function as a fully functioning human being. So he uses a a process of the progressive path to start to live more skillfully whilst checking in with that, which we are. Mm. So, Mm. I mean, I could talk for hours about Richard, but basically the, the path is a waking up. He calls it waking up, which is learning or sensing into that, which is true, our essential nature and all the elements. And then waking down is then from that sense of openness. Now, layer back in the mind and welcome that in. Layer back in our personality, layer back in our emotions, layer back in our physical body, layer back in all the, the you know, the movement of the breath, all these different elements that make up who we are. And then from that un- deeper understanding, interact with the world using all of these different elements. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. It's almost like to have that, phys- that, that experience and yoga nidra is a beautiful way in which to do it. If, as long as you don't fall asleep, <laughs> that's always the challenge, isn't yeah. it? When you fall asleep, it's kind of lost, you know, because the... Well, apparently not though. Oh, really? Apparently you still get it, yeah. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, you still that's get it. And then, and then the next step of yoga nidra is learning how to navigate the sleep state. So actually falling asleep, but being conscious of the fact that you're sleeping. But being aware that you're sleeping or lucid dreaming would be another way to put it. Yeah. 
and then yeah. navigating the sleep state whilst conscious. So that's mm-hmm. part of the intention behind Nidra, Yoga Nidra is learning how to navigate changing states from this underlying openness of awareness. Right. Wow. Okay. This is taking yeah. Yoga Nidra to a whole new level. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and eventually, I mean, this is sort of just cool stuff to, uh, I'm just, just playing with the, the sleep stuff, but, but the, eventually then we're learning how to navigate even when we go into the dying process and then the body starts to break down, the mind starts to break down and still having a sense of that, which we are the witness of that. So it can be really helpful things for, for when we go, when we start to move into the, that phase of our life. Yeah, for sure. Well, if you think about like, like everything that we've been talking about, you know, it's not resisting what is. So it's the same, you know, when it is coming to the end of our lives, if we can be calm within when we're transitioning, then mm. I could imagine that being a nice way to go. <laughs> or at least yeah. that's the way I would prefer to go than to be resisting and fighting that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, helpful. Yeah. 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 That's yeah, a really cool path. Yeah. Um, sounds like we could probably talk about that forever. I'm so interested in it. But let's um move on. I would love to hear about how the practice of yoga and also, you know, the the meditation and the nidra, how that has helped to enrich your life off the mat. I'm sure, you know, there's probably quite a lot to say here, but what's, you know, a few of the key kind of main things that have really kind of shifted in your own life and how you interact and deal with life mm. it's not like i wouldn't say that the practices of yoga nidra or uh, you know meditation practices have necessarily made it so that life is less hectic my life a lot of the time there's you know i've got three kids and running business and you know beautiful loving relationship but in relationship and someone has sometimes have its you know its trials and there's certainly lots of stress that it's not like all of a sudden life becomes stress-free yeah that's definitely not happened and but one thing that's been you know i think i missed all that is the the yoga nidra practice and and meditation and all these things um it, just like we said at the start around how how you can have anxieties but the anxieties don't have you we learn you learn to there's a sense of okayness amidst all that the storm of life so kids might be throwing a tantrum and you know there's a pile of dishes on the on the you know on the next to the dishwasher and i don't know the kids that were late for school or something and um I guess probably what would have happened back in the days is we start to get into our triggered reactive state to deal with it. And we, use, I used to use a lot more, um, probably a little more raise the voice. All right, kids get the hell in the car, you know, start to go, <laughs> and then, you know, meet up with that fire of, you know, oh, you know, stressing and swearing and whatnot. Whereas that's probably not as much as the way I'm, I'm meeting it with these days. Mm. so yeah it's
Yeah. So would you say, um, you'd, you'd say that, you know, whilst, you know, life's still happening, there's still the same challenges and everything, but there's a, a difference and, you know, obviously we're human, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't mean that, you know, things run perfectly and we respond in a perfect way all of the time, but there's more of an awareness around that. And, you know, and then when the voice does get raised or, you know, maybe a swear word does slip out because again, human, um, that we're then able to kind of, um, accept that and then, you know, make amends to it or something like that versus maybe in the past, you know, it happens and then it's gone you know we're actually yeah. more accountable to it and um responsible for it i suppose yeah Would you say that that's kind of what you've noticed yeah that's yeah absolutely and that's part of that that practice of becoming more skillful uh, mm. in in those sort of situations i wouldn't say i'm an expert at that by any stretch of the imagination so i think bell's my wife could attest to that sometimes i just you know, <laughs> it's just like, not really, <laughs> really yeah. not, but, but what's what's cool is that I, what i like about practice is it doesn't necessarily we don't have to be perfect in order to have a deep spiritual inquiry you know in the fact that when there are really challenging situations arising if there's resistance coming up then that becomes a cool little thing to check out and welcome in and allow it to be there too and you know so Yeah, it feels like every moment is that opportunity for inquiry into what what's happening. You know, yeah. when we come up against triggering situations in life, there is an opportunity to practice listening and openness. And yeah, know. totally. And some, something that um, I've I've been working on in my own personal life is this. Yeah, the triggers, like you're saying. So you know, noticing in your life what it is that triggers you and then actually doing inquiry on that. Mm. And, um, and the more I've gone down the route of inquiry into the triggers, the more I've uncovered some actually traumas that I just needed to resolve within myself. And, mm. um, and what I've noticed that by doing that and actually meditating on it and journaling on it and, and releasing it, like actually sitting and witnessing whatever it was that was behind the, the trigger, yeah. sitting there and allowing it to be felt, almost like taking myself back to the moment when it happened. And then there's this, what I've experienced is a kind of almost magical dissolving of energy around this thing. And right. then what, what I've noticed then in day-to-day -day life, when that trigger happens, I'm less, there's less energy behind it. Mm. So I still notice it. I can still feel the bodily sensations and then my need or want to respond or to react, but it's lessened. Mm. I don't know if that, yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. yeah. Noticing so, how we have that conditioned mind. Yeah. Um, in the mid things with conditioning and yeah. That's, yeah. That's yeah. cool. I still so, have um, that. Yeah, it's, it's cool. So I think, you know, like what you're saying is like, you know, these, these triggers and noticing then how we're responding or reacting. And then mm. with the sense of awareness, then, um, you know, we can start to, um, yeah, work with that in a kind of a, a helpful way. Mm. One thing that I've, in, the, in terms of that inquiry and noticing mm. how we're triggered and how we're responding and then 
working with that. It's interesting how, I mean, I used to do, I used to do a lot of work with a guy called John Nutting, who is on, mm. works with, and also Russ Harris, who's an acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, both on that psychology side of things, Russ, uh, John Nutting was around uncovering our limiting core beliefs or our beliefs that caught drive. And I uncovered a hell of a lot, noticing that I um, had this underlying um, feeling of uncertainty. I'm not good enough because I'm, I don't know and those sorts of things yeah. driving and worked out. Oh yeah. Okay. There's all these different um, deep seated habits, which are meeting life with and then noticing how they're arising in each moment and allowing them to be and not choosing the path of resistance rather choosing the path of openness. Yeah. But, and that's a cool little process, but it still seems to be in, in the realm of the thinking mind and it's, it's all occurring and we're aware of it. Mm. And that's interesting how, if 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 we're if I'm analyzing and figuring out the circumstances with the thinking mind, it doesn't. It's always there's always going to be some level of conflict that's occurring mm. because I'm attached to that which I'm experiencing. There's a subject and object, so to speak. I'm yeah. I'm trying to figure out the circumstances of my life using the thinking mind. Yeah. But then the difference with, say, for example, what I've what I've explored with Richard is that rather than trying to figure all that stuff out, that becomes a reference point for the awareness within which that's arising. Yeah. So it's not a problem but a pointer towards that which is already so. Mm which is an underlying, unchanging presence, uh, a sense of wholeness and completeness or uh, completeness or just the simple feeling uh, of beingness. Mm. And so what I found is that as helpful as it is to, to learn to unravel or to not react, it still works at the level on the mind. And so, um, More helpful for me has been the practice of simply resting back into awareness, still observing that with those changes, and, but rather than trying to analyze every little vasana, every little ha uh, deep-seated habit that I have and trying to balance it or, or work with it, is just to rather use it as a reference point towards that within which it's arising. So just allow whatever is arising to be here and just keep resting, resting, feeling mm -hmm. back into that. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you find then, then you're able to kind of almost, yeah, be this witness to what's happening. So the event, but then also that feeling within, which maybe is, maybe it's, you know, the stomach's gurgling or there's like tightness yeah. in the solar plexus or something like that. And then, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a mental kind of like, maybe there's an emotion of anger or something like that, but then you're yeah. able to kind of almost just witness all of these things happening. As, as they are without then becoming involved in it? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say, I look, I'm in learning mode with all this stuff, mm -hmm. so I'm just sharing what's sort of most, most pre I wouldn't say I haven't figured out necessarily, but the, but the, what I'm learning is that as we, 
as you say, you, you were just saying that, okay, we, we, we have these gurgling in the tummy and there's this, this movement of the chest or whatever it is. We're learning to sense into that underlying witnessing presence. There is nowhere to go. We're not trying to get anywhere that we're not getting from A to B. It's the, the process of yoga is not one of getting from here to there. It is simply to open to watch to that, which is more thoroughly in every moment and just and settle into that. And in that there's, yeah, there's a deep sense of ease and fulfillment. Um, amidst the, the circumstances of life. But, and I would say that still in that moment, there may be some, like a situation that comes up that really triggers a, a, a reaction that needs to occur. For example, well, it's a reaction. For example, if someone does something and there needs to be action, mm-hmm. um, then, then that, that action will come not, not from a reaction, for example, when the conditioned mind comes in, you know, I have that, like, like for, for example, when I, I have the conditioned mind that I'm uncertain and someone says to me, hey, Chris, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm. And I'll, there'll be a conditioned response to that, which comes from that fear response. Um, yeah. And so in that, in that listening openness, we can start to sense into where is the fear is arising and where is the trust or the openness. And we're moving from either that fear response or from a love response, mm. an openness response. So learning to nurture into or feel into that which we are is learning to feel into our that energy of love, I guess, to use another term. And then that energy becomes the guide for how we live our life. And so it's not us doing it. We're simply following the guide of Mm. listening. It becomes less of a doing, more of a listening and being being guided. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, it's like, it's, I think it's the most simple thing that we can ever come to terms with. And yet it seems, and yet it's a lot of the time I, there's a fog that comes over me. I'm like, oh, I don't really get this anymore. Mm. You know, but mm. initially it's like learning to sense into this, which we are, this essential nature and how, oh, okay, there's feelings that are occurring. And then there's that which is aware. And then noticing that actually the feelings are arising in essential nature it's not separate from this this moment right now as i'm with you it's not separate from the experience that we're having how could it be because it's arising in our experience Mm. the thoughts that we're having in our mind what we call the brain for example they're not necessarily arising in the brain they're arising in awareness Mm. even though the brain is doing its thing whatever but you couldn't pinpoint them, but they're arising in awareness. Same with feelings in the body. It's all occurring in this, it is awareness, mm. this unchanging. So, yeah, you know, and we're either being, we're either being, we're either being drawn into a constrictive mentality or there is, when I say the way that a constrictive mentality is arising where there is a sense of disconnection or misunderstanding. Mm. Or there is a remembering or an openness, Mm. you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's, you know, this is the practice, hey? (laughs) This is the lifelong practice. And, yeah, and definitely through the practice of the asana, the meditation, the um, the yoga nidra, these types of 
type of things then really help us to understand this better from a felt experience yeah 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 good framework to practice this inquiry yeah so good so we're about to finish up but i just wanted to find out from you um just about yoga teacher trainings because i know that yoke um run a number of different um teacher trainings and you know in some ways i feel like yoga teacher training should be called life changing <laughs> because it really i think it has that potential to to do that um it's not just purely to teach you how to become a teacher would you agree and what's your perspective on yoga teacher training and how does the yoga teacher training look yeah it's definitely we've got our crew coming through at the moment and there's certainly um everyone is different every training that we lead and there's such a it is it's a total journey uh, in an inquiry and it is I hesitate to use transformational because that used to be the way we promoted back mm. when I was in the days of leading things with other crew, but because that's not necessarily what's happening. There is, you know, but there's certainly, a, we, we, you know, we're diving into this yogic philosophy or inquiring in through meditation. And there is without doubt a shift in our understanding of what the way things are and a profound impact on how we're going to be living our life um, through that practice. And I feel like us as facilitators are wearing that as well. So we're always learning every time we, we lead a training. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really nice to see. Each one's different. Each having different students in the, in the course brings different flavours in inquiry. Mm. Uh, this one's been really interesting, really good. Amazing, amazing. And have you have you noticed that there's a bit of a shift in the people that are coming to training um, in terms of what, um, you know, like almost level of consciousness in coming into the training? Have you noticed there's a little bit of a shift there? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think in terms of their understanding, their understanding of what yoga is mm. and... Um, learning to live the experience of yoga as opposed to just kind of rocking up on the mat. I think everyone's starting to develop that as a practice, mm. which is really nice to see. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting how, I mean, we're about to do an online course soon as well. And we, I was meeting up with a girl from the States who was like, Hey, what's your point of difference? with what you guys are doing, with what other crew are doing. And I said, well, one of the things that I've, and this is probably not going to be great from a, well, she was a marketing person. She's like, what's your point of difference? And I said, well, what one thing is, is we're not learning, we're not trying to give people um, tools to transform their life. It's not like, hey, if you do this course, you are going to be a whole lot better at living life. And even though that may happen, it's not like a, a guide to get from a to b mm. it's a course and, and the teacher training has this all the way through it's a course of remembering that which we already are so it's like coming home into our into our truth yeah um so yeah that's that's definitely the theme of what we what we talk to in our teacher training i think everyone 
who's on it at least has had a flavour of that through the course, especially on the retreat. Beautiful, beautiful. And I feel that when I come to your yoga studio as well, you know, you, you know, yoga of the heart, you know, you really feel that and that sense of community, you know. So, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for your time and your energy and all of your amazing wisdom, um, both in this um, interview today, but also everything that you share within the community um, is very much appreciated. Um, is there anything um, final that you would like to let people know about what's going on with um, Yoke other than the teacher training? Um, I will put all details, websites and bits and pieces up on the show notes. But if there's anything final that you would like to mention. Uh, no, if they're interested in checking out Yoke, come down to the studios or come and you know, have a look at the website. And if you haven't been down before, I'd love to catch up. And um, all yoga is good yoga. Keep <laughs> searching around. And that with one of the values of yoga is not necessarily to try and, uh, you know, be the best studio or whatever, but rather promote all forms of yoga. So we're about, you know, encouraging all studios and trying to grow this understanding globally. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. All right, Claire. Thanks for your time. <laughs> And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And I do hope that you enjoyed this episode and gained some new insights. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do share it with friends you think may benefit from the message. And if you'd like to rate the show and give it a review on iTunes, not only would I be so happy, but this will also help increase the show's visibility so that more people can benefit from the messages. I would love to connect with you. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is underscore Claire with an I and an E Bradshaw underscore. I so totally can't wait to connect with you soon. Have a beautiful day.